listening to a special edition of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. Welcome back. Another crossover episode of Sucker Radio with the Wonder Brand Show. This week I'll be joined by Hicks and Gracie Black Belt and the man behind something called Invisible Jiu-Jitsu or Hidden Jiu-Jitsu. He's the head coach at Dynamics Martial Arts, MMA Academy, Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Los Angeles, California. Henry Akins joins the show. Henry, thanks for joining me this week, man. Yeah, my pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. Now, I have been a serious fan of your jiu-jitsu sort of um, mindset for the past little while now. I've purchased uh, some of your your uh, DVD, well, not DVDs, but online courses over the last few months and whatnot because it's just so technical and it's the little things that you teach that sort of distance yourself from all the other people out there that I find. And and that's why I wanted to have you on the show was because your jiu-jitsu is not like those guys like Keenan Cornelius and, and all those other guys. You're a guy who sticks to the fundamentals but has little techniques that the average Joe out there might not know. So I sort of want to dig into that a little bit as we get going here. But I just wanted to say, man, that I find the way you teach and, and all that kind of stuff very sort of uh, exuberating. Wow, man, that's awesome. That's like what an amazing compliment. Just even to to, to mention me with uh, the likes of like Akina Cornelius, um, I'm super super flattered. Uh, you know, first off, I, I mean, I have to give credit to to my instructor Hickson. Um, you know, uh, spending as much time as I did with him, and really being uh, so focused and passionate about jujitsu and learning about his style of jujitsu and what makes it work. Um, you know, it, yeah, it, it was all, you know, one of the things that amazed me about Hickson is how he was able to defeat all of uh, the current world champions in jiu-jitsu so effortlessly. And when I started to really take a look at his style and really examine, like, because there were new guys coming in from Brazil all the time to train with him with, um, you know, these new evolutions in jiu-jitsu and these new crazy techniques and, you know, all of the gi grips. Um, how easily he was able to kind of deal with all of them with just the basics, understanding the basics. And so I knew there was something there, um, you know, and so it really kind of um, reminded me, just focus on the basics and keep refining the basics to a point where they're unstoppable. And uh, and that's really what I've tried to do is try to develop a really extreme deep level of understanding of the basic techniques, what makes them work, uh, how people can kind of counter them or stop them and what you can do to deal with that. Take us back a little bit. I know probably the fans of my show may not necessarily know the name. I mean, we do have BJJ guests on from now, from time to time, but you're a BJJ guy and and not necessarily a mixed martial arts guy. However, your name has been brought up in the mixed martial arts world time to time, coaching guys that have been inside the UFC and whatnot. Just talk about your background, because as I said, Hicks and Gracie Black Belt, you are the third American Black Belt under Hicks, and talk about how you got into the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What led you along the way to get with Hicks and, and led you up to your Black Belt? Well, um, from the time I was a kid, I was always really, really passionate and curious about the martial arts. Um, I, before that I was doing, before I started doing jiu-jitsu, I was doing taekwondo just because that's, you know, what uh, everyone thought martial arts was back then, like punching and kicking and, you know, doing, uh, crazy high kicks. And, um, but I, I grew up in Oklahoma and in Oklahoma, I had a lot of friends that were wrestlers 
And, um, you know, I would notice in fights that wrestlers always kind of had a, a huge advantage. Uh, and it was the ability to take someone down and get on top of them, really allow them to dominate a lot of fights. Um, and then the UFC came out, um, which further kind of pushed my belief about ground fighting and how effective ground fighting could be in a, in a one-on-one situation against someone that really didn't understand it. Um, and so after the first UFC, I, you know, I, I had seen Gracie in action before and I had already known that Hickson, you know, they mentioned in, in, in the Gracie in action that Hickson was kind of the champion of the family or the best in the family. And so, um, I went out on spring break one year to visit Hickson's Academy and I trained for a week and I instantly fell in love with, uh, jujitsu and how, how powerful it was. You know, um, I was, I, I was into working out. I was doing martial arts. I thought I was a tough kid and, you know, just being able to train with the guys there. And I think it's like everyone's first experience when you train jujitsu, how humbling it can be. So, um, being humbled like that really inspired and motivated me. It was just like, wow, man, this is so awesome. I have to learn this. And so uh, after that, I, I moved to Los Angeles. I moved from Oklahoma to Los Angeles to basically train under Hicks. Amazing. And I, I read online somewhere that you spent upwards of like 70 hours per week in the academy. I mean, that just shows dedication right there. Yeah, I you know, that was... I didn't know anything else. You know, I moved to LA and that was my goal was to train jujitsu and, you know, being young, um, and, you know, also having that type of motivation, I just completely dedicated myself to it. Um, and so, you know, I, I moved, uh, out from Oklahoma to Los Angeles, not knowing anybody. So I didn't really have anything else to do either. You know, I didn't have any of the distractions that uh, most people have. So I just lived at the gym. I would get there at seven in the morning and be there till seven in the evening on some nights and then seven in the morning to nine in the evening on other nights. That's amazing. Uh, obviously you progressed a lot quicker than some of these guys that are training twice a week. I mean, what, what did you see inside the gym? Like there's these guys that have probably trained for many, many more years than you, but because you were in the Academy for so many hours a day, so many hours a week, how did you see your progression go compared to these guys that were training just a couple times a week? Yeah, you know, obviously I, I was progressing at a much faster level just because of the exposure, um, because I was there all the time, I was absorbing it. Um, and, you know, it's something I talk about a lot uh, when I teach is, I, I think what happened really early on with me is I really started to understand the concepts and the philosophies, the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu, um, which really, really kind of sped up my progression, just understanding um, how to do things without using strength and power. What also helped was I was a really small kid back then. Um, you know, I was about 165 pounds. So a lot of the guys at the gym that I was training with were much bigger and stronger than me. So um, it really forced me to develop technique. And, uh, and yeah, just by understanding the concepts, Hickson's such an amazing teacher and all of the instructors that were there at the time, actually, you know, I had uh, Luis Heredia, who's out in Maui now, uh, and Mauricio Costa, um, and a few other guys that were my mentors, um, really kind of pushed the ideas, the concepts of the philosophies uh, of jujitsu onto me, um, which really helped me to develop, you know? Yeah, definitely. Did you compete at all while you were training? I mean, I don't, I didn't I see did much compete. of your stuff. Yeah, I did compete. I was really active in, compete, in competing when I was a blue belt. 
Um, I was competing one of the football. Actually, it was so funny. Someone posted on my Facebook page the other day. He was. I remember a story of Henry competing when I was a purple belt, and he kind of shared this story on Facebook. But uh, yeah, the day I got my purple belt, um, I, we were at a competition. And I got promoted to purple belt at the competition, um, and I competed and I won my division uh, in the purple belt. And um, the next match, I went to compete in the open. And uh, I blew out my knees in the first match. Oh, no. Open. And so after that, I kind of took a year off. Um, and then as I started getting back into jiu-jitsu, you know, it was kind of a decision that I had to make. Like, gosh, I didn't, I, I never had the surgery on my knees, so I blew out both my ACLs. And I never had surgery on my knees because at the time I didn't have insurance and I didn't have the money for it. So I kind of rehabbed myself. It took about a year, so I was a year out of training. Yeah. And um, for the... You know, after I started getting back into training and training again, that was one of the big things on my mind is like, you know, is it worth, you know, I, and I guess that incident probably scared me a little bit getting injured in a tournament kind of maybe traumatized me a little bit, but was it worth competing and not being able to walk again? Um, you know, because it's, it's a different environment when you're going to compete than when you're training at the gym or training at the academy. For sure, yeah. So I think I competed one or two, two more times after that. But yeah, it, that kind of for me. And also... Um, you know, just the, the rule set of competing too, which was very, very different than the mindset of training at the school. You know, how we, all of us, when we're, we're learning jujitsu, how we naturally train is, you know, someone runs the clock and then when you go to train with someone, you're trying to tap them and they're trying to tap you. You know, that's how training at the gym goes. But when you're training for a competition, when you're competing, it's a completely different mindset and strategy. You know, you have to worry about points a lot of times you're trying to look at the clock and you're trying to run down the clock if you're ahead on if you're ahead on points, you know. There's a there's a very, very smart strategic way to win competition, which is very, very different than how you would train in the gym. Yeah, I, I hear you there. I, I have a question though about that is I mean, at the gym you see guys and you hear about promotions and whatnot and, and they're all like oh well i didn't get promoted at the same time as that guy or um that guy's getting promoted faster than i am yet we're coming in the same amount of time but sometimes it's because they're competing now you as a coach and obviously getting your black belt through hicks and you you've seen the progression of guys being promoted as they are i want to hear from you as a coach um it's obviously sort of different depending on each individual you have to individualize and base it on their skill and their knowledge when it comes to promoting correct because a lot of guys don't think about it that way they just think about hey i've been in the gym this long but their overall outcome might be or their overall goal might be different of that guy competing like you can't judge a guy who's competing the same way you do as the average joe that's just coming in to train jujitsu right exactly you know we we just did a big belt promotion ceremony this Saturday at Dynamics, um, you know, where a lot of guys got promoted. And that's one of the things that's, that's really, one, it's really difficult as an instructor to, to, to give up promotions because in a way you do have to um, kind of compare people. But also, you know, there's it, the, the belts and the stripes is really based on the instructor and um, the individual. There's no set standard. So there's no such standard for what a, a brown belt with one stripe is, what a blue belt with two stripes. There's no there's no set standard for what a, even a blue belt purple belt is, right? There's there's and there's, now there's even you see different belts being promoted from different organizations. So really belts don't mean anything. Um, it, it's it's 
for me, when I'm looking at my students, uh, and I'm saying that because, like I said, different instructors have different standards, I'm looking at really their, their knowledge of uh, jujitsu, um, their application, how they can apply it, and also um, the, the depth of knowledge, you know, and the, so there's a lot of things that go beyond, and you can't, you know, you can't compare like a 20-year-old rest kid who came from wrestling and trained six times a week with, a, a, you know, a guy that's 50 years old and a doctor and a father that trains twice a week. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree there. So moving forward, you opened up your own club. You came up with your own philosophies. You've seen jujitsu grow from the time you started to the time you even started Dynamics back back in the day. So what do you see that you sort of pick up? Because a guy like you, who is so bread and butter, but has these little different quirks to your game, you still obviously have to absorb the entire game, right? I mean, like, you still have to look at all these guys like the Danaher Death Squad and, and their crazy leg lock game that they're playing and, you know, worm guards and all that kind of stuff. You still have to absorb that even though you're not bringing it into your game, correct? Sure. You, you know, you always want to try to... You're always learning and growing. And you're always trying to absorb as much information as you can and learn as much as you can. Um... So, so as an instructor, I think that's very, very important to always stay a student. You know, a lot of times instructors say, this is what I know, and this is me, and that's, they kind of get stuck. But, um, but yeah, with, you know, with, with me, and especially seeing Hickson, um, his application of the basics and how effective they were towards guys coming with new and different techniques, um, that really kind of helped mold my idea and philosophy, um, they even like so. For example, the Danaher Death Squad guys. That you know, that stuff, the footlocks, the heel hooks. Obviously, they've they've taken it to a much higher level. But that stuff has been around for a long, long oh, time. Oh yeah. You know, um, you know, it was really, really popular in shoot fighting. Uh, I remember back in the you know early '90s, Eric Paulson was amazing. You know, he was uh, he was training at Hickson for a while and teaching a little bit of that stuff and. Um, Hickson even mentioned that's, you know, in one of his interviews, that's where he learned a lot of his uh, leg attacks from, from Eric Paulson. So this stuff was around for a long time, except what happened was it got, um, a lot of people didn't know how to defend it, and it would get food in competition, and so a lot of guys didn't use it, and a lot of, a lot of instructors avoided it or didn't learn it themselves. And so now what you have is guys that are extremely good at attacking the legs, competing against a lot of the guys that are pretty far behind. So you see they're doing extremely well um, because, you know, it's, it's like you're a black belt at footlocks and you're, you know, you're uh, playing footlocks with a guy who's a, who's a white belt or blue belt at it. Yeah, but – and – it happens and it and it works in you know like the EBI format and and that kind of stuff, but it doesn't translate over to IBJJF because that rule set is so much different. Do you think that they sort of need to be standardized, not necessarily in the submission only kind of thing, but in terms of points and rules and submission sets? Do you think that it needs to be all open, or do you see IBJJF being sort of the standard and and sticking with their guns? You know, I think um, with the IBJJF, they are pretty established. Um, they have the biggest, you know, the, their competitions make a ton of money. Um, they're also right now, because so many people uh, so many people compete in their events, they're also kind of considered the most prestigious events, you know. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I don't really see them changing much. I know from year to year they do make slight adjustments and changes to the rules. But, uh, yeah, I, I really don't see them completely changing their rule set anytime soon um, because it's worked for them. It's nice to see, all, like, these other organizations like EBI and, you know, Abu Dhabi and all these with, with different rule sets because it forces people to compete using different strategies, you know, which sure. is important. How do you think you would do, I mean, if you didn't have the bum knees and, and all that kind of stuff, how do you think you would do in this day and age and this format of sort of submission-only style grappling? Like, I'm sure you would be in an EBI or Metamoris or Abu Dhabi-style you know, competition. I, I, I love that, um, that mentality, that, that style, because, you know, it, it, it allows people to open up their games where they're not stalling, um, you know, and and it really forces people to push pace if they really want to win. You know, um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I I love this submission only because it's it's the most similar to how you naturally train in the gym. You know, that's yeah. basically, you know, when you when most of us are training at the gym against our, our partners, there's not a ref standing above us uh, counting points, and you're not, oh shoot, I got to stay here for three seconds, even though there's an opportunity for me to advance. You know, uh, I got to stay here for three seconds just to get my points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it, it's two different mindsets. It's guys that are hunting and, and guys you wouldn't see, you you never see like Gordon Ryan or Gary Tonin hasn't competed in an in a IBJJF style format for, heck, who knows how long. I mean, these guys are only going after submission only, but it it seems like they're able to make money at it as well, which is something that, was very unheard yeah, of with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. Right. And that's the other thing that's, that's great is, you know, the having like a professional format for these guys to compete in. Um, it only brings up everybody in the sport. You know, it just brings awareness that, Hey, these high level athletes need to get paid for their, for their time, you know, for their time. And they're, you know, a lot of people are watching their competitions and it's entertainment, you know, um, so it's nice. It's nice for the athletes that they're, you know, they're starting to see that it's a possibility if you dedicate your life to something that you, there's a future in it for you. For sure. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, so as I said, uh, off the hop, I've purchased a few of your, your instructionals. I've watched a lot of your stuff on YouTube, the invisible jujitsu stuff. Um, and it seems like it's blowing up. You, you've been around for a long time when it comes to these instructionals, but it seems like you are everywhere, and it's been guerrilla sort of mass-marketed all over my Facebook page and sponsored on my Instagram walls. What, what sort of changed oh, wow. in terms of all that kind of stuff? Because the marketing level of it seems like it's gone a little bit through the roof. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. Um, you know, I've, I've been... I've been teaching jujitsu for 16 years now. Um, you know, I've been a black belt for 12 years and, uh, you know, I always, I was teaching at Hickson school for, for 10 years. And, um, for the longest time I was known as the West Coast teacher. I think actually Gumby, uh, some on the map mentioned that and quite a few other people mentioned like, wow, I did a, a private or a thing with Henry Akins and it was incredible. Like all the details that he showed me, and, you know, like these details on basics that I thought I, I should know, or I'm supposed to know, or that I've been practicing for 10 years. He's changed a few elements and now it's so much more effective. So, you know, I was kind of considered a secret on the West Coast for a very long time. 
And um, a couple of years ago, I and I always try to stay humble and very, very quiet. And I'm not one to kind of, you know, talk much about myself. But um, I realized for business, it's almost a necessary evil, you know. And um, I was actually doing an interview with uh, a writer from Shichitsu Magazine. And she's like, well, your mission and your, you know, your job is to help people through Jiu-Jitsu, right? And I was like, yes. And she was like, well, how do you plan on helping people if nobody knows about you? Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of just like, you know, it kind of like, it like lit a, a fire under my butt. It kind of hit a nerve. I was like, wow, you're so right. Like, I, you know, jiu-jitsu has benefited my life in so many different ways. Um, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching and sharing it with others. And if I just stay a secret, then, um, you know, nobody's ever going to know. Nobody's ever going to be able to learn these details. Nobody is ever going to be able to see um, this style of jiu-jitsu. And uh, so what I did was I started meeting with some friends, and I actually brought in a marketing team because I realized, hey, this is something that I'm really horrible at, um, and it's something that I don't enjoy doing. Um, and so for me, I would rather, you know, have someone else help me do that because I don't want to put the time into learning it. My, my passion um, is teaching jiu-jitsu and sharing jiu-jitsu. And so, uh, yeah, I brought in a, a team of people to basically help me with the marketing. You know, I know uh, some of it can be in your face and very, very, um, but, you know, if you know about it, if you heard about it, then it, it's, it's doing its job. Definitely yeah. doing its job. And it, it's obviously working because, you know, I, I purchased it. I found it because it was popped up on my uh, Facebook page. And I thought, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. Because a couple of guys at my gym, actually, every time you make your way down to Washington State, which pisses me off because you don't make your way into Canada. Um, Chris and yeah, Chris, Chris and yeah, Chris and Alvin from Apex. Uh, you probably know them. Um, they've come down oh, to your yeah, seminar a bunch of times. They even awesome. they even made their way down to California to visit you a few months back, right? I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, they've come to LA twice now to come visit me. And um, I think Alvin even came to my camp in Costa Rica. And, you know, every time I, I I get to work with those guys, those guys are like, wow, that's you know, incredible. So it's really just refining details. You know, just uh, tiny little nuances in the basics that help things. To, that, to be able to work so much better. That's exactly what it is. And and I find that Alvin comes back and he brings I mean last night he taught class and and just the little techniques that he brings in obviously I'm sure a lot of them came from you because there's such slight details that you add to the mix and and I've watched it I did, I did your mount escape um, the seminar that you had online that, you know, just tilting the head and, mm-hmm. and bridging over top rather than to the side. And I mean, it's just, it's almost dumb, dumbed down technique when you actually think about it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, what, it, what it is, is it's really the basics perfected, yeah. perfected to a point that when you do them, they're going to work, you know, where I think that's what happens a lot of times when people are training um, the basic techniques like a scissor sweep or a bridge or, you know, in the beginning you're starting to play with it and then you have a little bit of success with it. But as you start to keep training, what happens is people start to figure out what you're doing and they start to start countering it and you say, this stuff doesn't work anymore, you know, and people give up on the basics. 
And um, instead of sticking with it and sticking through it and, say, and trying to say, okay, well, it's not working right now, but why isn't it working? What are they doing to counter it? And how can I, you know, what can I do to make sure that it still works? You know, and so that's, um, that's a lot of what I, I teach is the tiny little details that make the basics work, even if people are still trying to do, you know, the, the normal, typical things to defend it. Do you think a, a lot of people just overthink jujitsu a little bit too much? Um, no, I no? don't. No, I think I think I think it's the exact opposite. Actually, I think people underthink it um, because at the end of the day, for at least for me, jujitsu is very simple. You know, it's very simple, and everything that I teach is almost common sense. And I've heard people say that so many times, like, wow, that just makes so much sense. Like, once I explain something, people are like, wow, that makes so much sense. But I think a lot of times what happens is people don't take the time to really sit and think things through. You know, yeah. why does this work? Why does why is it not working? You know, um, what are the mechanics behind this movement? What am I really trying to achieve? What am I really trying to do? When you start to, to break things down, that's when you start to really develop the deep level of understanding of, of jiu-jitsu. How have you seen people um, take to your courses online that have also gone to your seminars in person? Like, you're obviously going to pick up a heck of a lot more if you come to a seminar in comparison to learning something online because you get to put it into practice. But um, are you getting some positive, like a lot of positive feedback from this stuff online? Because you seem to keep adding yeah. stuff on a daily basis, ba- or a weekly basis, basically. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, that's one of the amazing things about being able to do it online instead of like releasing DVDs is I do actually have some interaction with the community. So um, sometimes people have a question and I think it's a great opportunity for me to film a video to answer that question or people are like, hey, can you show this or show that? And so I'll film videos to add to that. So um, that was one of the benefits of the way that we kind of structured the, the courses. Um, but yeah, I mean... I've had such an amazing uh, response to the online stuff. Um, it blows me away, and it's so motivational and inspiring for me to know that, um, you know, what I'm putting out there is actually helping people. It's, 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 it's making a difference in people's training and that they're able to learn and progress. Um, you know, I get emails and messages on a weekly basis um, you know, from people that say, oh, man, I wasn't able to hold them out, and now nobody can get me off. Or, gosh, I used to get mauled. Guys would get on top of me. I yeah. couldn't escape, and I was getting mauled. Now, you know, I'm able to escape from much higher belts. You know, and they have a hard time keeping me in the bottom, uh, in the cross section. So it's just like every time I get one of those, it's like, you know, I'm uh, jumping for joy inside. For sure. <laughs> now, your your online stuff is is a little different than a lot of people's online stuff. They do, you know, monthly fees where you get everything online for a monthly basis. There's other guys like yeah. like Gracie University where they actually teach programs fully online. What do you think of stuff like that where they're actually handing out belts to these people in an online format? Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, to each their own. It's a little disappointing to <laughs> That's me politically that correct. People can get, um, that people can get a blue belt so easily. You know, um, I, I, I'm of the school that um, nothing worth it in life comes easy. You know, if, 
to, to really have value in something, when you bust your ass to really do something, it, it has way more value than anytime you get something easy. Um, you know, but I, but that's me. That's my personal belief. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know other people, they, they sometimes people do want things easy, you know? Um, yeah, the, the belt thing really bothers me online. For me, you know, with my courses, it's more like I encourage people to, to find a school, a great school where that train. And the information that I'm providing is more of a supplement to their training. And hopefully it helps them and hopefully it can answer some questions for them. Hopefully they'll pick up details of maybe techniques that they've already learned that help to make that technique work much better. Um, more, more effectively or more efficiently, you know? So, um, yeah, you, you know, I'm just happy to be able to share, um, you know, all of the jiu-jitsu that I learned over the 15 plus years that I, I trained with Hickson. Um, I'm happy to be able to put that information out there for people because, you know, for so long, so many people did not have access to that. It's, yeah. Um, it really is, uh, you know, the more I travel and the more I teach, it really is a very, very different style. The way that he does things is very different and it shows. I mean, if you talk to anybody that trains with Hickson or, or has trained with Hickson, you know, you have countless black belts that say, wow, man, I feel like a white belt when I train with him. Well, the reason is, is because he's able to teach them the basics at such a, such a minute level. So many refinements and details to very basic techniques, techniques that they thought they know. It kind of brings them back to being a white belt. Like, well, I'm learning an Americana again for the first time, or I'm learning how to do a scissor sweep again for the first time. You know, he doesn't teach fancy techniques. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, with the, the fancier techniques, a lot of times these fancier techniques take a lot more steps to get through. And so you lose some uh, effectiveness with that. So speaking of traveling and all that kind of stuff, I said, you know, upset because you don't come up to Canada. Maybe you'll have to change that in the not-so-distant future. But what's your biggest thing that you, you find and, you know, makes you happy about traveling and doing seminars all around? Other, Obviously, it's showing off your jiu-jitsu and whatnot, but what do you get out of doing that, obviously, also other than money? <laughs> for, for me, it's, it's, it's really getting back to the community and... Um, spending time with other people that are uh, passionate about, you know, uh, something that I love, like jiu-jitsu. Um, so already there's a common bond there that, you know, we're, we, we share in a similar passion. Uh, but it's also uh, the relationships. You know, I think that is probably one of the most valuable things in life is, is uh, the relationships that you have. Um, and so it's just getting able to meet people, getting able to spend time with people. You know, I've met so many amazing human beings through Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, almost all of my best friends I've met through through martial arts, through Jiu-Jitsu. Um, so, yeah, that's been a, a real true blessing for me. That's really cool. Now, finally, I guess before I let you go here, let's talk a little bit MMA. As I said, you, you've done some, you know, mixed martial arts, um, bringing people into the octagon, being their jiu-jitsu coach and, and whatnot behind the scenes. Who are some of the jiu-jitsu guys that are in mixed martial arts right now that, that you see and, and you think are doing really well for themselves and, and you think that, uh, hey, that's some cool jiu-jitsu inside the octagon. Like, what did you think of Ryan Hall's performance the other night? I'm not sure if you saw it. A lot of people dogged it, but I thought he had almost a perfect game plan against Gray Maynard. He fought uh, a brilliant strategy. 
you know. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, he he fought a really really smart strategy. I mean, look, you know, the the game plan was, you know, Ray Maynard is a very dangerous fighter when he's in punching range, right? He's got heavy hands. And so he's basically doing what we always talk about in Jiu-Jitsu, the, the strategy in Jiu-Jitsu. When you're fighting, you want to keep people either too far away or too close. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was using kicks to keep them far away. And when he got into punching range, he was immediately dropping to, to the ground to basically, you know, make Ray Maynard fight his fight. So, you know, the whole fight... And, I, you know, you saw Gray Maynard getting very, very frustrated during the fight because the whole fight, he was never in a place where he was comfortable. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely so, yeah, I agree. Mean, I, so many guys dogging that fight. But if even if you look at significant strikes, Ryan Hall outdid Gray Maynard in that fight. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's like, look, when, when you're fighting, when you're fighting, you have to be smart first and foremost. One, you know, I always tell my students this, one punch can change the whole fight. You get hit once. I mean, look at look at the fight with uh, Donald Cerrone and, and Matt Brown, right? Boom, one kick and then it's over. Yeah. And so um, you, you have to be extremely careful. You don't even want to get hit once. And Ryan Hall did a very, very good job of controlling distance. You know, every time Gray Maynard dropped into uh, punching range, he would drop to the ground. So now very difficult to punch when the guy's on the ground and Gray Maynard was not confident enough in his grappling to be able to approach uh, Ryan there. So, you know, that, I think that was, I kind of fault Gray Maynard a, a lot more than Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall fought a really smart strategy. You know, he should be being a UFC fighter and especially being a veteran, he should feel comfortable and confident going into someone's guard or going to the ground with someone. You know, yeah, I, I definitely know. Do you have any guys? Are you coaching any MMA fighters at the current moment? No, I'm not coaching any any right now. So, um, you know, my right now my focus more and for the past year and a half has mostly been just traveling and teaching seminars, spreading and jiu jitsu. Um, that you know, spreading my jiu jitsu. Um, and I do a couple camps a year. This uh, May, I'm going to Bali, and I'm going to do a week-long camp in Bali. So it's really just kind of traveling um, throughout the United States and, and, you know, through the world, trying to spread and share the jiu-jitsu. That's awesome. She is Henry Akins. Uh, I really appreciate having you on the show, man. Just, I guess, let people know where they can find your hidden jiu-jitsu, um, any seminars you want to plug that are coming up, any anything that you have to share with my listeners, let them know right now. Okay. So, um, yeah, you can find, if you want uh, if, like uh, to learn any of my courses, it's on uh, Um and I will be teaching. I'll be doing a big camp in uh, through Sub and Surf in Bali in May. And you know, about once a year, I do a big East Coast tour. So that will probably be in April this year. That I'll be traveling all through the East Coast and sharing my jujitsu. Um, and definitely, I definitely plan on making it up to Canada uh, in 2017, Canada, and hopefully do maybe a European tour also. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. For sure, man. That would be awesome. I mean, maybe, hopefully, we'll get you up here in Vancouver at some point. 
that would be awesome. I have a lot of friends in Vancouver and, uh, yeah, a, a lot of people I know that are dying to have me up. So, um, definitely, definitely would love to make that happen. Awesome. Henry, thanks a bunch. I, I really appreciate this, man. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Have a great day. You as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Henry Akins. What an interview. Um, the guy has so much knowledge. As he said, check out hiddenjujitsu.com. Tons of courses and content online. He is the third American black belt under Hicks and Gracie. And that does it for another episode of Sucker Radio crossed over with the Wonder Brand Show. Check us out at MMASucker.com as well as on Twitter and Facebook under MMASucker. And make sure you check out the Wonder Brand Show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, as well as Facebook and Twitter, too. I am Jeremy Brand. Thank you to you all for listening. Thank you to Henry Akins for joining the show. That does it for another episode. I will be back with you guys next week.